Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Change Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a very interesting topic, and I'm so, so excited to introduce the speaker today. Her name is Jillian Riley. She's the author of five books, and she is coming in from the UK, and she's an expert on curbing addiction. She's also a TEDx speaker. I'll link the, the uh, link to her TEDx talk in the description below. And she is especially an expert in food and nicotine addiction. Hi, Jillian. Hello. Hello, Linda. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Good to be here. I'm really excited. I'm so excited about this topic because I think a lot of people can relate and learn so much about food and nicotine addiction from this podcast. So I'm curious, Jillian, what is your story? What got you to be an expert on food and nicotine addiction? Um, well, I am an ex-smoker and an ex-overeater. Uh, I suppose um, the way to describe that is I'm currently about three dress sizes smaller than I was at my largest. Nice. But more importantly, I'm considerably healthier now. I'm as healthy as I could be. You know, I'm not on medication. There's nothing wrong with me as far as I know. Um, I contrasted against really not being well at all for long periods of time in my, especially my 30s. And that was very much connected with what I was eating Um Anyway, um, I ran a stop smoking course in London, which is where I'm from, for about 15 years. And I really loved doing that. But as time went on, I stayed in contact with my clients after they stopped smoking. And many of the conversations I had with them became about food. So it's very common for people to stop smoking and then eat where they would have had a cigarette, you know, like at the end of a meal or in between meals. And that's where an awful lot of the weight gain is. It's very commonly associated with people stopping smoking. So I got involved in that, but I've been teaching and counseling and writing about these two subjects for about 30 years. So I think that counts as the, the famous 10,000 hours that you're supposed to put in to become an expert. Yes. So I've definitely done 10,000 hours, definitely. I ran groups on how to stop smoking, uh, on taking control of overeating for the last 20 years in London and for the last two years online. Do you think that we as a society are addicted to food? Even around me, I see a lot of people who turn to food for emotional support or turn to just eating, 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 consuming, consuming. And you see, especially in the U.S., there's a big, big population of obesity. One third of every U.S. American adult is obese. And, you know, a lot of people say that has to do with processed food and and the junk food that is available to us now, but I believe that there's something internal about us, maybe some kind of inherent trait that was passed down from generation to generation. But do you think that we as a society are addicted to food? And if yes, how did we get here? I think that there is an inherent tendency mm -hmm. um, because we came from ancestors who lived in... Uh, an environment of food scarcity. 
And so our biology, our biochemistry, but especially our brain function, which is sort of the, the seat and the control panel of everything, um, is suited to overeating, to finding food and wanting food at every opportunity. And way back when, and it wasn't that long ago, but you know, few, just really a few generations ago, for the overwhelming majority of human history, um, there hasn't been that much food around. And a long periods of, um, or at least significant periods of um, famine, food not being available. Um, but then the other thing is, is that when we did find food, it wasn't all that interesting. Mm. Um, we would go foraging and find, you know, a cabbage or something, and that was... <laughs> like a big day for us. <laughs> um, and especially, I mean, it, it's getting more and more and more, but especially um, since really the 60s, 70s, 80s, the food industry has become highly skilled at making the most attractive, um, exciting, drug-like um, items <laughs> and we're drawn to them even uh, things that we regard as you know dinner I mean I'm not just talking about you know candies and ice cream um, but all kinds of food that's packaged and sold it needs to have an addictive quality to it otherwise it won't sell and that's how they stay in business I heard that the secret formula for the food industry to get people addicted to stuff is fat, salt, and crunch. Mm. Okay. I think the crunch would be the carbohydrate content. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they've brought it down to a fine art. Yeah. And it's available. There's nothing seasonal about it. We've got it all the time. And then the culture has supported that by... Um, normalizing it yep. so it's not unusual to you know to go and have a snack in the middle of the afternoon it, people don't think anything of it like why not yeah and you know it's interesting and, that you say that about how society made that normal because I know kids who like grow up thinking that frozen dinners are healthy Mm, especially mm. if it's low calorie if it's like packaged mm -hmm. as low calorie organic non-gmo you know it has all the right labels but still frozen food we have kids growing up thinking that it's healthy and they're getting their vegetables and they're getting their meat but it's not the same nutritional content as raw natural food well um even thinking of just the 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 processing the and the added sugar and things like that and um, that very often we don't even realize there's added sugar in things um and that's that makes it more attractive but it also makes it i mean ultimately not very good for our health and of course our waistlines too but um it it's the the point is is that it makes it um, more compelling it, it's more as I say drug-like we are we are attracted to it most people uh, certainly most people I see most people who come to me for help if they're in a restaurant and they're looking at a menu thinking shall I have a salad or shall I have a pizza they go well pizza of course 
<laughs> because that's the more, um, as you say, it's got the fat, it's got the salt, and it's got the crunch. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a more attractive, a more desirable item. So the question is, how do you eat less pizza and more salad? And why would you in the first place? And that's that's what I'm most interested in. So that's a really good question. So how can we, how can we, when we have the choices between a pizza and a salad, how can I get myself to choose the salad instead of the pizza? <laughs> well, I, I spend a lot of time in, in my books and my online course attempting to answer that. Um, I think that, um, you know, it's been shown in the, brain scanning, uh, you know, the the research that uses the fMRI brain scan, it's been shown that the more um, addictive, what they call highly palatable food, the more attractive food, lights the brain up in the same way that a drug would. And so they have comparisons um, of perhaps people who, who, um, say, are addicted to cocaine, um, and they put them in the brain scans and show them images of people doing cocaine, and it induces a, a desire, a craving in them. And then the same thing for people who overeat, um, and they see pictures of people eating their favorite food, and the craving state is quite similar. Mm. You know, it's, it's not identical, but there is it's a lot that's similar. And particularly that initial burst of dopamine that um, keeps us focused on that food. So I think a first step is understanding that there is um, a biochemistry there, there is a brain mechanism there that um, is, is quite automatic and um, kind of triggers us mm-hmm. into making those more addictive choices. And I think, first of all, understanding that reality, but then understanding that the more we act on that, the more it's going to be there, and vice versa. The less we act on it, the more it's going to fade. So taking pizza as an example... I can tell you absolutely, there was a time when I ate pizza at least once a week, and I don't eat it at all now, and I don't miss it. Um, In fact, the only time I ever think about it is when I'm talking about it to clients like this. (laughs) Um, I don't don't feel deprived of pizza, um, and I think that's... that's, um, that's really where you want to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. So are you saying that, the, if I understand this correctly, is there a part of the brain that craves things? And then mm-hmm. whether it's food, mm-hmm. whether it's nicotine, mm-hmm. whether it's um, whether it's anything that you can be addicted to, drugs, mm-hmm. it fires mm-hmm. the same region of the brain, which is why yes. we get addicted to that thing in yes. the first place. So yes. it's not about the thing. It's about where it stimulates in the brain. 
Yes, yes. And it's learned the the part of the brain, it's called, well, it's called different things, but sometimes it's called the limbic system. It's the midbrain. And if you took a line back from your eyes and in from your ears, where that met in the middle, that's where it would be. Um, sometimes called referred to as the striatum. That's where the dopamine is released from. And it's learned behavior you know like Pavlov's dogs Pavlov taught his dogs to salivate just when they heard a bell that's that was it they heard a bell and they salivated because they were expecting food so dogs don't normally salivate when they hear bells but that was he, he just trained them because he always rang this bell when he gave them food mm -hmm. so the thing is I I walk past the pizza place now and I'm not salivating or craving or wanting, you know, like that, because I've taught myself that that particular cue, which is walking past that pizza place, um, doesn't activate for me. So it's learned behavior. Sorry, that wasn't very good English, but do you see what I'm saying? Yes. You learn it. And you can unlearn it. So that, that's the point. So the trigger is there already inherent in the brain because we needed that trigger for our survival. It's just, the brain hasn't, up, that part of the brain hasn't updated and learned that, you know, pizza isn't actually supporting our survival. The salad is. I um, I think the fact that you said that habits can be learned and unlearned is very helpful for people listening in because I know a lot of people who suffer from food addiction, they feel like they're kind of a helpless victim to this craving. You know, I know a lot of girls, a lot of my friends who try to stop their food addiction, stop relying on food for emotional support, but it's very difficult, especially if you rely on it to satisfy something inside that makes you empty. The thing is that the emotional, an emotional state, like feeling, um, you know, I'm not enough or my life isn't working like it's supposed to work or, you know, I hate my job, you know, like any of those sorts of thoughts and feelings, they can be triggers. So if every time I feel hopeless about my life, I do a line of cocaine then that feeling is going to elicit a craving for cocaine. Mm. But if every time I feel hopeless about my life, I eat something, especially if it's kind of, you know, gooey, sugary, you know, highly charged kind of food, because mm. usually people don't, you know, their first thought isn't, you know, celery right. and cucumber. <laughs> right. No angry I mean, person reaches for a celery. <laughs> yeah for emotional eating. Right. Um, so then that becomes the learned behavior and the feeling of, you know, my job is awful, I hate my life or, you know, whatever version of that it is. Um, that becomes the ringing bell to the Pavlov's dogs. Um, so again, that can be unlearned. Now, um, so it can be disassociated just the same as it was learned in the first place.
Yeah, I really like that. That that gives me a lot of hope for people who are addicted to food and they feel helpless. So I know, Jillian, that you're a big, big proponent of eating less. And I've read many different books about different, not really diets, but like lifestyle changes of eating less. And, you know, in my head, it makes sense that eating less would be better for us. But can you tell us exactly how eating less benefits our bodies? Well, and the first thing is that I am speaking to people mostly. I mean, I am really uh, exclusively speaking to people who overeat. And I think that's important. I'm not promoting like anorexia. <laughs> so. Um, for people who overeat, um, like, you know, they, they just don't stop eating. They're eating meals that by their own, you know, their own definition are too large. And then they're snacking and they don't really stop. The main problem, no matter what they're eating, and of course, there's the quality issue as well, like how much is really good, serious like what I call proper food. Um, but what is mostly the problem is that our bodies are always in a digestion mode. Um, it, it can take, as some people say, 18, 20, even longer than 20 hours to fully, completely digest what we've eaten, whatever it is. And so most people never stop doing that. Their, their bodies are continually digesting and metabolizing the food that they've eaten probably half an hour ago <laughs> or even like an hour ago. So it, from the work on longevity and health, uh, there's an awful lot of people who are saying now that it's a very, very good idea to give our bodies a rest mm -hmm. and particularly overnight so that if, say, we ate our last you know, meal or snack earlier in the evening and then had the whole night without food, obviously we're sleeping, our bodies can detoxify and repair and rejuvenate, which is what our bodies do while we're asleep, and then even carry on into the morning without eating. That, that having that length of time um, so that the body can turn to other things other than digesting food. Mm -hmm. It's a, a very, very good idea. Awful lot of people are saying that. No matter what style of eating, you know, whether people are, you know, eating raw or vegan or, you know, not veg, you know, what, whatever it is, the style of food. I really like that because... Um... Yeah, you know, your a lot of people don't realize that your internal organs, your intestines, especially their muscles, that constantly, if you keep eating, they constantly have to create peristalsis all the time like this. Mm -hmm. And you know, like any other muscle, imagine having to move your arms like this for 24 hours. Your <laughs> arms are going to get sore and you're going to be tired. But we don't realize that that's what we're doing to our digestive system. So like you said, when we give them a break... You know, it gives them a chance to repair themselves that they can work optimally instead of being worn out, constantly moving, 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 moving this way. Yes, and there's the digestion process once the food has got inside our bodies, not even what we think of digestion, but like the liver 
um, is still in in that process of digesting. So, you know, it it's all the most demanding work we ever ask our bodies to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's so much blood and lymph nodes, everything. They say yeah. the gut is the holy grail of your body, the command, yeah. the real command central of your body. And we yeah. take it for granted. I feel we abuse our intestines and organs all the time with the food that we eat. Yeah. So Jillian, if people wanted to know more about what you do, especially you said you do coaching and you do um, classes for people who have food addiction problems, or if someone has a nicotine problem and they need help, how can people get connected to you? Um, Well, possibly uh, to get an idea of the work that I do is this little book called Ditching Diets is a very good introduction and something that can be read in a couple of evenings um, and that's available on Amazon on in ebook form as well as this paperback old-fashioned book that I've got I'll, here. I'll put a link to her book in the YouTube description below as well for people who are interested. That's a very good overview but I've also got um, my main website Eating Less Online and all the information is there. I'm offering um, a series of six uh, sessions that make up the program and the entire course. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been amazing and really uh, quite extraordinary putting all that together. And I really love that, you know, you are someone who used to struggle from food addiction, used to struggle from nicotine addiction, and you're someone who overcame it. And through your experience and through your knowledge, you're helping other people who are going through the same thing. So I feel like the best people to receive help from are people who walked in your shoes, who know what you're going through. So if you're facing food addiction, if you're facing nicotine addiction, and you would love some help, please reach out to Jillian. I'll link all of her information down in the description below. Her TED talk that she did that I got, that I saw and I connected with her through her TED talk, her website, and also her book down in the descriptions. So any last words, of course, any last words for our audience, Jillian, before we close out this podcast? You know, I think the big misunderstanding with addiction is people think if I admit that I'm addicted, then the only thing I can do to sort that out is to abstain. Mm. Of course, abstaining from food entirely is not a good idea, but people try to become too rigid in the sense of abstaining completely from, say, sugar, for example. And in fact, when you look at it, there's an awful lot, there's a, well, an awful lot, but a number of addictive behaviors where abstinence isn't the solution. And that, I think, is incredibly important and even liberating and exciting concept is that um, it's, it's about eating less, eating less sugar, eating less, you know, carbohydrate, eating less, you know, in between meals rather than not at all. I really like that because everything in moderation, we have a tendency to go extreme one way or extreme the other way. And that's how we yo-yo back and forth and we don't find balance. But I love what you just said. That's all about finding balance. It's not about cutting something off cold turkey, but learning how to reduce, reduce the bad habit 
and increase the, the good habit so that you find a balance that works for you. Being able to live with it in the long term. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Because that balance is what's sustainable and will keep you running the marathon for a long time, not just a short sprint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I learned a lot about food addiction, especially because a lot of people now go through some type of food addiction or some type of addiction. So I Mm. hope that the content that she shared here was valuable for our audience. I had an amazing time. Thank you so much, Jillian. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. See you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.